bless the Lord, everyone. It is good to be in the house of the Lord on this last day of the year. And uh, I do feel very honored and privileged to, to give you, I guess, one of the last messages you'll hear for uh, 2023. And uh, the word that I have for you today is a, it's kind of like a part two uh, to the last message I, I preached, uh, which was called, um, I'd be delighted. And in that message, I, I spoke about how uh, when the scripture says in Psalm 37 verse 4, to delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That often that verse is taken to mean that God will give us whatever we want if we are pleased with the things that God are do, is doing. But it doesn't mean that at all. It means that God wants to put his desires in our hearts and our hearts are to be made pliable to, who, to God's will and to his motives. And the thing that I, I mentioned that message is that we need to have our hearts, uh, our hearts need to become pliable. They need to become shapeable and moldable in God's hands where he's able to give us the things to desire, give us the right things to go after. The one thing I didn't say in the message was how to do that, how to make your heart pliable and to make your heart ready and moldable for God to to give you those desires, to give you the proper desires and so that you can have a heart that's truly like his. And it is my objective in this message uh, to do that today, to kind of continue that thought from the last time I preached. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 95, and we'll be reading verses 6 through uh, 11. Psalm 95, verses 6 through 11. And the song that we sang, the last song we sang, was done by my request because it is really the crux of the issue today. And the message I, I have for you is some that needs to be given to the body of Christ before we enter into 2024. This this is the message that you need to hear that's going to get you ready for the, the next year. I think that it's appropriate that the Lord has uh, has given me this word to give unto you today, and I believe it's going to help somebody. But I, I really I really want you to to listen and also to do what that song just said, which is pray for God to open the eyes of your heart. To open the eyes, to open our hearts that this is not just a routine, this is not just us doing church as usual, but this is a, a, a meeting of eternal importance and significance. And it could completely transform your life if you allow God to do so. Psalm 95 verse number 6 says this, O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart. And they have not known my ways, under whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. I want to read verse number 8 again, because from there I'll primarily be taking my thought, which says this, Harden not your heart, as in the, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Today I want to preach a simple message entitled, Harden Not Your Heart. And understand that doesn't really mean a whole lot to you at this point. But this phrase is extremely important. It's, it's so critical. I cannot emphasize this uh, any, any better than, I, than I'm already doing so. But it is critical that we do not harden our hearts towards God. And we don't harden our hearts towards his word and towards his presence. If we don't, then we are not going to enter in, to, as, as it says here in the scripture, into God's rest and into the promises that God has for us. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but somebody needs to hear this word, that you need to unopen your heart and allow God to truly deal with what's inside of your heart and allow God to shape and to mold you. Don't think that this is just, oh, Brother Chris just talking, whatever. He just, just give another sermon. It's just another Sunday. Don't treat it like that. One of the issues, I'll just tell just kind of jumping ahead of myself, what is happening to the body of Christ? The body of Christ at large has become vaccinated to the Word of God. The way that vaccinations work is that they take uh, usually either a dead virus 
and they put it inside of a human body to allow the body to adjust to it and learn how to defend itself to create antibodies. Or what they'll do is they'll get a half of a live virus and they'll they'll uh, combine it or, or join it to an adjutant so that there's a slight immune response. And whenever you're getting a, a vaccination or, or inoculation and immunity, there's a, maybe you might have some slight symptoms, but not the full thing. It doesn't fully affect you, and your body's able to create immunity to it so that when it encounters, encounters it the next time, it's able to resist it and fight it off. And that is exactly what's happened in the body of Christ. That that many people in the church, they're hearing just a part of the word of God. A dead word that allows them to resist and to fight against it. So the next time when they hear the word of God, it's easier to resist. That the Holy Spirit no longer convicts you or creates an immunity response because it's not being preached with the type of power and the type of conviction needed to convict us of our sins that we repent and turn away. And God is saying, I don't want my people to be vaccinated against my spirit to be immune, to be resistant to my heart and resistant to my word. Hear me today. That the Holy Spirit is shouting from heaven to not harden your heart, but to hear what thus says the Lord today. And it is imperative that you get this word before you enter into the next year. Because the lack of this is what's stopping you from making progress and getting to the next stage of development and walking in the promises of God. I cannot emphasize this enough. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I pray, I beg you, I beseech you by the help of the Holy Ghost, open your heart to this word that I'm telling you today. This isn't just for the next guy sitting next to you. This is for all of us. Let us pray today. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you. Father, thank you. God, I thank you for your mercy. Thank you for just the privilege and the honor to be able to tell and to speak of your word and to speak of your goodness. You're altogether lovely, altogether wonderful. You're so merciful and kind, oh God. It is because of your mercy that we are not consumed. Your compassions, they fail not. Your faithfulness, oh God, is new every morning. God, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And I pray by the help of the Holy Ghost, Father, convict us change us do surgery on us remove the cancerous tumors of sin remove the hardness of our heart that we would hear your voice that we would feel your heartbeat that we turn away from our wicked ways and turn to you and embrace you remove the lukewarm spirit remove the lackadaisical spirit let the fervency and the fire of your glory invade and burn up anything that's unlike you oh God shake us and change us mold us into your image conform us oh God to be like you and like nothing else. I want nothing else but you and you alone. Change us today. Shake us to our core. God, quake us, oh Lord God, that we would turn to the cross and to you alone. Father, I thank you and bless you and worship you and glorify you. And in Jesus' name, let the church of the living God say, Amen. You may be seated. There are four questions I want to answer today in this message or deal with in this message. Question number one it is defining what is the heart. What is the heart? Number two, what is a hardened heart? Number three, how did the children of Israel's hearts become hardened? And number four, how can the heart that is hardened be softened? I want to deal with these four questions today, and by the help of the Holy Ghost, I believe it's going to make a profound impact in your life. Let's deal with the first question, which is defining what the heart is. The heart is made up of two components, or should I say two levels or layers. Firstly is the intellect, which is the source of one's thoughts, understanding, reasoning, comprehension, judgment, discernment, and one's intelligence. It is otherwise known as the mind. And an example of this idea as we, is seen in looking at Solomon. That when Solomon was inaugurated, was, getting, was, was being uh, put into office as king, that he began to seek the Lord and pray unto him, God, I need some help in governing this great nation. He says in 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 9, he says, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. To judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? He goes on to say in Proverbs 
chapter 8, verse 5, Solomon says, O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. So the first layer, the first component of the heart is the intellect, is the reasoning, is your comprehension, is your intelligence, is your understanding. The second part of the heart, the second layer or component, if you will, uh, of the heart is the will from which one's motives, passions, desires, and actions originate and reside. This is where your will is, where your motives are, where your desires are, your appetites, your cravings, your lusts, your desires. This is where this comes from. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus has encountered the Pharisees, and they are castigating him because he's not following all the traditions that they are saying uh, that they're adding to the laws of Moses. In Matthew 15, verse 7, He says, ye hypocrites, well did Esaias or Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, that they have an understanding of God, but there is no passion, there is no true desire, their will is not truly submitted and surrendered to God. They are just going through the routine, going through the motions. In verse 19 of this same text of Matthew chapter 15, he says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. So the heart again is made up of two components. One, your intellect, your reasoning, your comprehension, your intelligence, your understanding. And the second layer is your will, your motives, your desires, your appetites, your cravings, your lusts, your, your, your will. And these two things, they work together in conjunction with one another. And sometimes they can be at odds with each other. That sometimes you may be able to understand and comprehend something, but your will and your desire is not towards it. Or the reverse, sometimes you desire something, but you cannot comprehend or understand as to why. And these two things sometimes are at odds with each other. And the Holy Spirit is here today to unite these two faculties so that they can operate as one unit so that they can fully serve and submit unto Him. Now, one thing I also want you to understand is that the heart is the mechanism that believes and also where faith originates. It is from the heart that faith and that belief originates and resides. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, a verse that we're all familiar with, says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So your heart is a pretty important thing, because without it, you cannot be saved, you cannot believe, you have no motives, you have no will, and you have no understanding, and you have no reasoning. And that's why the Bible tells us to guard our hearts because out of them come the issues of life. You need to protect your understanding, your comprehension. You need to guard and watch your motives, your desires, your will because if they become corrupted, you're in big trouble. You will not have the capacity to believe and to trust God to even receive salvation. Which brings me to my second question which I want to answer. What is a hardened heart? What does the Bible mean when it says that a heart has been hardened? I want you to turn back with me to my main text in Psalm 95, verse number 6. Psalm 95, verse number 6. The psalmist says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the day or as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now, the Hebrew word there for harden is kashah. It means hardened, hard, stiff-necked, to be severe, fierce, to be harsh, to be hard-pressed to make difficult, burdensome, to be stubborn or obstinate. To be hard-hearted is to be unyielding, is to be resistant, is to be stationary, is to be stuck in one particular facet or place. Proverbs 28 verse 14 says this, Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that kashah, that hardeneth his heart, shall fall into mischief. In Jeremiah 7.23, Jeremiah talking to an apostate nation 
that has completely been engrossed by idolatry and all manner of evil and corruption says this, Jeremiah 7 verse 23. But this thing commanded I them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I've commanded you that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but kashah, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their father. A hardened heart does not listen. A hardened heart resists. It's stubborn, it's it's obstinate, and it is desensitized to instruction and correction. It is unyielding to outside influences. The example that the scripture gives us for a hardened heart, one of the best examples, is looking at the children of Israel. The best and most consistent description of the nation as a whole is the phrase that's used in the King James Version saying that they were stiff-necked. Now that term doesn't, may not mean a whole lot to us, but to be stiff necked means that you're not gonna move. You're not, your neck is what turns your head, what turns your body. And if you're stiff necked, you're not gonna move. You're not gonna turn. They are stuck in this particular track. They're stuck in this particular mentality. They are stuck. They are obstinate. They are stubborn. They are resistant. They won't listen. They won't take instruction. They will not take correction. They are stiff necked. In Exodus 32 verse 9, the Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a kashe, a stiff-necked people, a different conjugation of the Hebrew word kasha. In Exodus 33 verse 2, it says, and I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive under the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked, a kashe people, lest I consume thee in the way. They were a hardened people. They would not listen to instruction. They would not change their ways. They would not yield themselves to God. This then raises the next question. How did the children of Israel's hearts become hardened? When you read the narrative of the children of Israel, you see all the miracles that God did, all the plagues, the plagues of flies, the turning of the river Nile to blood, the plague of darkness, the plague of lice, uh, the killing of all the animals through the hailstorm, the, the darkness that was all, all over Egypt, uh, the killing of the firstborn, the parting of the Red Sea, the raining of, of, of bread really from the sky and quail from the sky, water coming from a rock. You look at all these miracles that they did, but yet the, the children of Israel would not listen to God and they murmured and they complained the entire time. Why were they so stubborn? Why would they not listen to the one who was delivering them and rescuing them? Why were they so resistant and hostile to anything that God would do for them? I'm going to answer that question here today. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 1 verse 13. Exodus chapter 1 verse 13. This is describing the conditions of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter and with hard cachet bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. So for generations here, the children of Israel have been in captivity and have been enslaved, enslaved in Egypt. And during their captivity, they were abused and they were traumatized by the harsh conditions and treatment which made their hearts hard. The word that is used is also described kashah, the Hebrew word that's found in our main text where it says, harden not your heart. It also means to be abused or ill-treated. Your heart to not be ill-treated. The children of Israel were traumatized by generations of being whipped, of being castigated, as being treated as slaves, and being made to work hard, making bricks and making the Pharaoh's pyramids and all of his construction progress, uh, projects. For years, they were living in very harsh conditions. And because of those harsh conditions, their heart began to emulate the condition that they were in. So their heart became more hard and more, you had to toughen up to survive being a slave in Egypt, being whipped every day in the taskmasters, making you work in the hot desert sun. You had to toughen up. You had to be hard. So their hearts began to uh, become stubborn and unyielding. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And it came to pass in process of time 
that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up to God by the reason of the bondage. So they were in suffering here. They're being traumatized. They're being abused. They are being completely just manipulated and enslaved and they're crying out to God. And so God says, okay, I heard your cry. I'm going to send you a deliverer that's going to bring you out of the bondage. So then now when Moses requests for their release from Pharaoh, things did not get better, but they got worse. And that's the thing, people. We always say that we come to Jesus, everything's going to get better. But sometimes things will have to get worse before they get better. The deliverance was coming, and Moses said, let my people go. But instead of letting the people go, Pharaoh doubled the workload. He said, you know what? I want you to keep making bricks, but now I'm not going to provide you with the materials to make the bricks. You have to go gather the straw yourself, but you still need to meet the same quota. And then the Egyptian taskmasters and Pharaoh was getting angry at them for not meeting the quota. So in other words, the situation got harder. It got worse. It got more difficult. And so then when Moses, after having making this request and things getting harder, he goes and he approaches the elders and the children of Israel to tell them what God says I'm going to do to deliver you. Exodus chapter 6 verse 9. Exodus chapter 6 verse 9. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cachet, for cruel bondage. They said, the Israelites are like, I ain't trying to hear all that. All know my back hurts from getting my, my behind whipped all day. That's all I understand. That's all I know. Things have gotten worse. I'm not trying to listen to you, Moses, talking about deliverance and getting me out of slavery. I'm in pain. I've been traumatized. I hurt. I'm not trying to hear that. Their hearts became more stubborn and more intransient and more uh, more resistant to any instruction coming from God because they're in harsh conditions under hard labor. And so now their heart has been hardened. So now one would think... That after God had performed so many miracles and delivered them from their bondage, that their hearts would be softened and turned to him fully. On the contrary, they continued to cry, and not only that, but murmur and complain. And the question is why? Okay, we've, we've stopped all the crack of the whip. You're not in slavery anymore. You're out. You're free. You're delivered. But why are you still crying, and why are you murmuring, and why are you complaining? The Bible gives us the answer. I want you to see this. Turn with me to Psalm 106, verse 6, and I'm going somewhere with this. Psalm 106, verse number 6, says this. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. The reason why the scripture gives us as to why they still murmured and complained and were miserable was because they lacked understanding of the miracles and the wonders that God did. Now look at Psalm, 80, Psalm 86, Psalm, Psalm 88 verse 6. Psalm 88 verse 6 says this, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but commit, uh, uh, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God, and refused to walk in his law, and forgot his works, and his wonders that he had showed them. So they kept, they forgot about his works, and they did not understand the things that God was doing. So no matter how many miracles God did, they didn't get it. They did not um, understand it. The scripture says that they did not understand God's miracles, nor did they remember them. The question is, why is that? I'm going to give you two reasons right here. Number one, part of their heart, the part of their heart that deals with understanding, that deals with the intellect, had been damaged during their captivity. Remember I said that the heart was made up of at least of two levels or two components. One represents the intellect, the understanding, the reasons, the mind, while the other part represents your desires and your will. And the part that, that represents or that functions as the intellect and the reason and the understanding part of their heart was damaged during their captivity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 says this, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles, walk in the vanity of their mind. 
having the, under, the, the understanding darkened, being alien, alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to walk all uncleanness with greediness. The fact of the matter is after being beaten so much and being abused so much, their ability to comprehend God's mercy and God's grace had been damaged. I don't understand what you're doing, but all I know is I have suffered a trauma. I have suffered a hurt. I have suffered a pain and I cannot comprehend anything else. The thing is this, understanding is the adhesive force that connects God's word to the heart. I want to repeat that. That understanding is the adhesive force that connects God's word to the heart. When these two elements are combined, the word of God and your heart, it produces a chemical reaction which produces faith or belief. When God's word gets inside of your heart, when those two things combine, it produces faith. But the force that causes those two to combine is understanding. Because you're not going to accept something that you don't understand. Now look at this. Matthew 13, verse 18. This is the parable of the sower. And you've all heard the parable of the sower, that there was a certain farmer or sower and he sowed or spread seed. Some seed fell by the wayside. Some fell by the rocky soil. Right? And the Bible said that when it went to the rocky soil that it grew a little bit, but it didn't have much depth. And so when the heat and the sun came, it died. And then some seed fell by the thorny, uh, thorny ground. And when it tried to grow the thorns, it choked up the seed. It choked up the word. Then you had the good ground, which got the seed and it produced some, some 30, some 60, and some 100. Now I want you to look at what the scripture says about the first type of ground. The ground that's by the wayside. The very first one. <clears throat> Matthew 13 verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. So the seed is going out, but the seed never penetrates the soil. It never gets inside of the soil because of a lack of understanding. Now, look at verse 23. Look at verse 23, the same chapter. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some in a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. The difference between the seed by the wayside... And really, the, the the good ground was understanding. And actually, the problem with all the grounds is understanding. We think that the hard soil is the rocky soil. It's not. It's the soil by the wayside. Because it's the soil that the seed, is, the seed can't even get inside the soil. Now, the question we should ask ourselves, how did this soil become so hard that the seed doesn't get in it? The wayside was a footpath. Which means many people were trampling on it and walking on it. And by trampling and walking on it, it's compacting the soil and bringing it together where there's no space for air or water or anything or the seed to get into it. So it's all being pushed together after being trampled so many times. People have walked in this ground so many times that the ground has now become dense and compacted together where there's no space for anything else. And that is exactly the condition of the children of Israel. And I'd have to say some people in the church, that their hearts have been trampled. You've gone through a trauma. You've gone through a pain. You've gone through hurt. You've been molested. You were raped. You were abandoned. You were abused. You were mistreated. And your heart has been, you've been trampled on. And your heart has been compacted where now there's no space. For God's word to get inside of your heart. I'm not trying to hear that preach. I'm not trying to hear that I was right. I was abused. I was messed up. I was abandoned. I hurt. I can't understand this mercy thing, this grace thing. I can't understand. I can't receive that. They were trampled. And so because of that, the children of Israel, no matter what God did, they could not understand. They could not comprehend what God was doing. When Jesus was talking to this, to a group of Pharisees, a group of Jews, and some of them started to believe in him, they started to argue with him. He said, look, he that, is, uh, he, he that comes to me, that he, he'll, he'll, he'll uh, be saved, he'll be set free, the Bible says. That whom the Son sets free is free indeed, he starts saying. And then they start saying, well, we are of Abraham's seed. 
we've never been bondage in, and they start arguing with like, Jesus, we don't need any freedom. We're already free. And look what Jesus says here in John 8, 37. He says, I know that you're Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. My word cannot get in you because there's no space there. Because your heart has been compacted by the harshness of this life. That generation was, was dealing with an oppressive regime called the Roman Empire. And they were under so much tyranny and so much hurt and so much rejection that when the bread of life came, when the seed was given, they, would, they had no space to receive him. When the bread of life came, there was no room for him in the inn. He had, he had to go in the stable. There was no space for the word to get in to change their hearts. The main difference was understanding. Now, the word there in the Greek for understanding in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, is tsunami. And it literally means to join together, to put the perception with the thing perceived, to set or join together in the mind. That is understanding that joins your heart with God's word. Which is why Solomon said that with all thy getting, get wisdom, but also get understanding. If you don't understand it, you're not going to receive it. And that's why we have a lot of people in the church whose hearts are hardened because a lot of people are preaching nonsense. And they explain nothing. They proclaim a bunch of stuff that has no biblical backing and explain nothing. And then when you go out in the real world and try to get into a real fight and talk to somebody about, about, the, about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're, you don't have any good explanations or good reasonings. And so now this generation, our culture, has been hardened against the word of God because we're not get, engaging them in their understanding. Hebrews 4 1 says this, let us therefore fear, thus a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed, not being combined with faith in them that heard it. That's why I can preach a message and one person will get delivered and someone will just leave the same way they came because their heart was hard and they didn't want to receive it. And the enemy is doing everything he can to block your understanding of God's word. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, For if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He's trying to do everything to block your understanding, because if you understand that you're going to receive. I'll put it this way. Like a computer or a cell phone with with no hard drive storage, the heart crashes and falls apart. Your heart is full of trauma, it's full of pain, it's full of hurt, it's full of rejections, it's full of mistakes and disappointments. And it has no space to process the word of God or process the things of God. Now, I really began to dig into this thing as to why the children of Israel didn't understand, nor could they remember. If you recall, I read in the verse where it says they, they did not remember his works. How do you forget the Red Sea parting? Like, how do you forget something like that? Walking through an ocean on dry ground. How do you forget something like that? How do you forget a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that's right there? How do you forget that? I'm going to explain to you how you forget that. This is from the National Institute for the Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine. And this is from an article called How Trauma Impacts Four Different Types of Memory. That our brains have four different types of memory. We have semantic memory, which deals with general knowledge of facts. Then we have episodic memory, which deals with the sequence of events and emotional memory. And what scientists have discovered is that trauma affects how you remember things. Number one, trauma can prevent information like words, images, sounds, etc. from different parts of the brain from combining to make a semantic memory or memory of general knowledge and facts. If you've been traumatized, the trauma can affect your ability to combine images, smells, events, and combine to make something that's coherent and understanding what even happened to you. Episodic memory. Trauma can shut down episodic memory and fragment the sequence of events where you can't find the order of how things went. It also affects emotional memory or the implicit memory. After a trauma, a person may get triggered and experience painful emotions, often without context. You're crying, you're having panic and anxiety attacks, and you don't understand why, because you can't fully comprehend or remember what even happened to you, because things are so messed up. And the children of Israel have been so traumatized that literally their memory was being affected. 
where they could not piece together the sequence of events. They could not even understand who God was and what he was doing for them and receive of his goodness and his mercy because their hearts were hardened. Now check this out. Numbers 11 verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. So now they have selective memory. I remember the food we used to eat when I was in slavery, but I don't remember the beatdown they used to catch every day. You see how I'm not saying how they've been traumatized, how their, their mind has been warped because of the hardness of their heart. I can remember the meals I ate, but I can't remember all the hell I went through. And all the, sl- the slavery in the body. I, I don't remember that. And because they only remember the good parts of it, they're running back to the ones that abused them and enslaved them. Just like an abused spouse who loves their spouse, who loves their husband. But they only remember the good parts, the good times when he's not drunk. The parts when he's not beating me, the times when he's kind of listening to me and kind of compassionate and kind of, he takes me out to dinner every once in a while. But I'm going to forget all the times he's beaten me and all the times he's scared me half to death or threatened to kill me if I leave him. We'll forget that stuff. Why? Because your mind has been traumatized and your heart has been compacted where you cannot comprehend and understand. Number two. Every time they ran into a challenge or something that was hard, it took them back to their bondage and prevented them from understanding what God was doing now. You have to understand now, they, are, they were, grew up in harsh and hard conditions. So they've gotten out of that hard condition. And now anytime they encounter something that's difficult, like where's the water? We don't have any water right now. I'm hungry. Whatever challenges that they face, it triggers them and reminds them of the harshness that they had back in Egypt. And it makes them want to go back to it because that's what they're used to. Some people are used to dysfunction and they don't know how to function any other way. What if I do if I leave the, be- the man that's beating me every day? What if I do if I lie? Why? Because they're used to it. Their hearts have been conditioned, have been hardened to these issues. Numbers 14.1. They had just come to the promised land. And they find out there's giants in the land. Uh-oh, I got to fight somebody? I don't want this promise. I want to fight for the promises that God has for me. Look what it says here in Numbers 14.1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return back to Egypt. This makes no sense. But because their hearts were hardened, their understanding had been blinded. They wanted to go back to the ones that enslaved them. Now turn back with me now to the main text in Psalm 95. Psalm 95 verse 6 says this. Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. As in the day of provocation, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation. In the wilderness. Now the Hebrew words there for provocation and for temptation is Meribah and Massa. And they're not generic terms that just mean temptation or whatever. They're the names of a specific place and they're referring to a specific incident that happened with the children of Israel. And God is telling you, I want you to look at this example and do not do what these guys are doing in this specific example when I talk about don't harden your heart. So now let's look at this specific example. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, verse number 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, whereof thou smotest the river, take in thy hand, and go. Behold, now I want you to pay attention to this. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Oreb. Where is God going to stand? Oreb. Remember that. 
I'm going to stand on the rock and oar, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses said, Do it in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tended the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or no? This is like, is God even here with us? Hello, pillar of fire. He's right there. <laughs> pillar of smoke. Cloud right there. He's right there. And they're asking, is God even there? And so now God does this miracle. He makes water come out of a rock. So much water that's able to quench the thirst of some two or three million people in the middle of nowhere. That's pretty amazing. Now look what happens just a few chapters later. Exodus 32. Exodus 32 verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out the, out, out the mount, the people gathered themselves together under Aaron and said to him, up, up make us gods which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not that we become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of Egypt. Not Jehovah, not the pillar of cloud over there. Not the, not the pillar of fire there. Actually, Moses was on the mountain. The kind of glory was all over the mountain. He's right there. And they're saying, let's make some gods that we can understand. And then they began, they built these things that these are the gods that brought us out of bondage. Wow. Oh, it gets worse. Now, remember I said, where did God cause water to come out of a rock? Horeb, right? Psalm 106, verse 19. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. The place where they made the molten calf was the same place God had brought water out of a rock to, feed, to quench their thirst. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Do you see how hard these people were? God's like, this is the place where I just delivered you. And at the very spot where I delivered you and quenched your thirst, you erect a statue to somebody else that doesn't even exist and worship it? Do you see how, how their memory was off? That golden calf is what brought me out of Egypt. Not the pillar of fire that's right over there. I don't remember that guy. Where'd that guy come from? Why? Because they've been traumatized. They don't understand. They can't process it. Why would they worship a golden calf and say, this is the thing that brought me out? What were they surrounded during their captivity? Golden calves. What were they surrounded by? Idols. So they went with the thing that they were, that was familiar with them to say, this is what brought me out, even though it was the thing that was with me when I was in there. And they began to worship it and exalt it at the very spot where God had delivered them and brought them water out of a rock. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. Because, do you see how dangerous it is to have a hardened heart? Oh, it was the doctor that got me through that, that, uh, that cancer. No, no, it was God. It was my cat-like reflexes that avoided that car wreck. No, 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 no. It was God. It was my ingenuity that got me out of, out of debt. No, it was the, it was the provision of God. You're worshiping golden cats. You don't perceive and see the hand of God that has brought you through this entire year. You're only here by the grace and the mercy of God. The next breath that's filling your lungs, it's only by God's mercy. They were so hardened, they could not understand the miracles and the wonders that God had done. And this is the, the, the warning that the Holy Spirit is giving to us. That you need to be careful not to harden your heart towards God and not perceive His hand working and moving in your life. And give credit to something else that, ne that did nothing for you. Where you can sit in a service and the Word of God does nothing to affect you. Where you can be in his presence and sense nothing. Where you can go and sin and, be, be, and feel no conviction because your heart has lost its sensitivity to the things of right and wrong. 
Now that answer the real question, which is this. How can a hardened heart be softened? A hardened heart is hardened due, as I said before, to traumatization and trampling and has been compacted so as not to allow God's word to enter and to transform it. Your heart is full of junk. You're full, but you feel empty inside. You feel numb inside. You feel alone inside. You feel rejected because you're full of guilt and you're full of pain and you're full of rejection. You're full of isolation. You're full of all this hurt and traumatization. How do we deal with this? With this pain that we're dealing with? There are two things that need to happen. The first thing that needs to happen is that the soil of the heart must be broken up. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 3 says this, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart. Ye men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire, and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says this, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity, ye have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou distrust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. Fallow ground was hardened ground, ground that had not been cultivated or ground that had no seed in it. And God says, if my word's going to get inside of you because you're so hard, you've got to break up the fallow ground. I know you want the preacher to do it, but it is your responsibility to break up the fallow ground to break hardened ground you need something harder than the ground to penetrate it so God is handing you right now he is handing you in the spirit a shovel called the cross and using the digging process of repentance and confession of sins to open up the heart. God is saying, I need to break this thing up. Your heart is hardened and full of all this stuff. And so now I've given you a shovel called the cross to dig up and to expose the sin. Expose the rejection. Expose the molestation. Expose the rape. Expose the abandonment. And dig it up and break up the fallow ground so that my word can come in and transform it. You've got to grow repent and you've got to confess your sins. The Bible says in Joel chapter 2 verse 12 therefore also now saith the Lord turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend or rip apart your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for his gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. The fact of the matter is that if you want your heart not to be hard anymore you've got to make a decision and a choice to dig inside the nasty stuff to allow God to see those things that you're ashamed of, the things that you won't talk to anybody about, the things that hurt the things that pain you, the things that keep you up at night, God is saying you've got to confess it because it's with the heart that, that a man believeth and with confession of the mouth it's made unto salvation that you've got to confess your sins dig it up and break up your fallow ground The worst type of soil in the heart is that of pride. The hardened heart, I'll tell you why. i tell you why the church has become so hard in many ways and why there's no true repentance and there's no true conviction is because it's full of pride. The hardened heart is full of pride because it thinks it deserves to remain in its state due to the traumatization it has had to experience. It feels entitled and it, that it deserves everything that it has coming to it and it's ungrateful towards the goodness of God. We don't want this manna, God. We deserve leeks and melons. We don't want this stuff that you're doing for me, God. I want this other thing. I've gone through mess and hell and I deserve some sort of handout, some sort of payback, some sort of restitution. And you sit there and say, I'm okay in my mess. I'm okay in my sin. I'm okay in my pride and you won't humble yourself and not receive the salvation of God and die in your sins because of your pride. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 16 says, But they and our fathers 
dealt proudly and hardened Kasha their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey neither are mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them but hardened their necks and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage but thou art a God ready to pardon gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and forsookest them not all thank you Jesus that you put up with my stubborn obstinate self my rebellious self the many times I regret to do the many times I bit the hand that was trying to feed me the many times I walked away from God but he's slow to anger he's merciful he's gracious and he's kind and he's still right now waiting for you to open up your heart and confess your sins confess your grievances confess your disappointments confess your pain and your hurt confess your trauma give it to Jesus for the Bible says in Isaiah 53 4 that surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem and stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed once the heart is broken through repentance and it needs understanding now so once we repent we've, we've, we've broken the heart up now now can come understanding now can come understanding remember that understanding is the force that combines the word with the heart the issue is that the hardened heart does want understanding it does want to understand but it wants to understand the wrong things because it wants to understand its trauma and its pain why did I go through this? Why was I enslaved? Why was I traumatized? Explain that one to me. That's the thing it wants to understand. That's the thing it's trying to perceive. It's trying to explain. Why am I crying myself to sleep at night? Why do I feel so alone when I'm in a crowd of people? Why do I feel so rejected? And why is this Christianity, this Jesus thing, not working for me? I want to understand. I want an explanation. I want to understand my pain. I want to understand my trauma. But the solution is not understanding the pain, but understanding the deliverance. It's not understanding, you want to, you want to focus on the pain and try to explain why did that happen. And you're focusing so much on that that you're missing out on the answer to actually solve it. Because the entire time that the children of Israel were there, going through the wilderness and God's doing all this miraculous stuff, not once did any of them say, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me from out of slavery. Thank you for, you know, killing all my enemies and give me free food for 40 years and my clothes don't wear out. And I don't get sick either. Thank you, God, for doing all that stuff. Ungrateful. Because all they can do, oh, those better back in Egypt. The leeks and the lemons. Right? Not the beatings and the whippings and the making the bricks. Why? Exactly. Because the fact of the matter is they were ungrateful. And the thing is, stop trying to understand the trauma and start understanding the deliverance. God wants to bring understanding to, re to resolve the issue. We cannot rely on human understanding. You cannot rely on human understanding to resolve this issue. Proverbs 3, 1 says this, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shall thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge, yada him, thank him, and he will direct thy Pass. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I don't understand all the hell I went through. I don't understand why this happened. Job didn't understand everything either. Job never got an explanation for why all ten of his kids died and why he lost all of his wealth and all of his. Death. He never got an explanation. But I tell you what, he did get. He got a deliverance. And you will stay in the wilderness wandering around for 40 years, never walking to your promise because you're still stuck on Egypt instead of looking at the promised land. When we rely on God's understanding instead of our own, His Spirit is able to go beyond our understanding 
and deal with our will because we haven't dealt with that yet. We've just been dealing with the understanding, but it's your will. It's your motives. It's your desires that God's trying to get you. That's underneath that intellect of yours, that brilliant genius mind of yours. He's trying to get there. But the Holy Spirit has the ability to go beyond your understanding. Philippians 4, 6 says this, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall do what to my heart? Shall keep and guard hearts, your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When I repent and confess and yield my, I gotta understand it. I don't understand how you even love me. When I yield myself and trust in Jesus, His love goes beyond my understanding and meets my needs, gets in my will, gets in my motives, gets in my hands, gets in my feet, gets in my mouth, and I gotta tell the world of what Jesus has done to me because He's gone beyond all that I could ask or think. This is when the word of God must be preached with clarity under the anointing of the Holy Ghost so that the heart can latch onto it through understanding and produce faith. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 130 that the entrance, the unfolding, the explaining of thy words, it giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. In Psalm 119, 118 it says, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things in thy law. Wondrous things. When the word of God is preached clearly under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and you understand that is when salvation happens. That is when miracles happen. That's when deliverance happens. When I understand and I comprehend that this word works. That this Jesus that died on the cross, he did it for me. And he washed away my sins and bore my griefs and bore my heartaches. And he was hung up for my hangups. And he delivered me out of darkness into his marvelous light. You cannot progress into 2024 until you deal with this hard heart issue. Till you, you don't, you quit playing with God and you open your heart completely and go after Him a hundred percent. Don't get inoculated. Don't give me some vaccination worship where it's just, it's half-hearted. And so you become immune to work, to lifting up your hands. You become immune. You become immune to the Word of God being preached because it's not done with all of your heart. And like a callus, it begins to form a layer over your heart where it no longer affects you. And that's why that I got to preach hard sometimes. When Stephen was preaching to the Pharisees and he just told them, what's up? He's like, you guys are stiff-necked and you're uncircumcised. He, he, didn't, he didn't beat around the bush. Didn't try and tickle their ears. Didn't try and make them feel good. He said, you're stiff-necked and you're uncircumcised. Acts 7 verse 50 says this, Hath not my hand made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Now look at verse 54. He says this, if the Bible says this, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. When their, their heart got cut. Oh. And instead of repenting, They killed the man that was trying to tell him how to get saved. Now, if you notice, they only got cut. But in Acts 2.37, when Peter got them preached, it says, and they were pricked in their heart. The word of God penetrated. It went a few layers deeper. And then they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, y'all know the verse. Then Peter said, what? Repent. Dig this thing up. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When the word of God got down and pricked and got deep enough, there was a change. Let's stand. I'm going to stop. Harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. Allow God to deal with the mess. Allow God to see all the stuff that's in the heart. You cannot come to church haphazardly. You can't live this Christian life lukewarmly. You got to go all the way. All the way. Go hard or go home. A hundred percent. Otherwise, you're going to develop a calloused heart where you're no longer able to understand, I don't know if Jesus even saved me. Am I even saved? Or you'll think that you're saved when you're really not because you're in pride and arrogance harden not your heart it's very interesting when Jesus rose from the grave there is these two gentlemen they're walking the road of Emmaus 
And they were talking about how that their Savior was dead. They were hopeless. And just having Jesus, like, he comes walking by them and starts having a conversation with them. And say, hey, what's going on? What, what things have been happening? It's like, did you hear that, you know, this Savior, the Messiah, he's, he's been crucified. We thought for sure that he was the Messiah. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, he says, then he said to them, oh, fools and slow of heart, dull of heart. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? And the Bible said that from the Old Testament onward, he went through all the scriptures concerning himself, showing that Christ had to suffer and die. They were so moved by this. They said, hey, you know, when they got to the destination, they said, hey, could you want to come stay with us? He said, fine, yeah, sure. Have a meal with us. And in Luke 24, verse 30, look at verse 30, what it says here. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. Now look what they say here in verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? As he was explaining and giving understanding to them, their hearts were ignited. God wants to give you heartburn. When stuff just starts coming out of you, praise starts coming out of you, confession of sin just starts, ugh, just starts coming out of you. As the scripture is opened and dissected and explained and exegeted and interpreted, he wants to give you heartburn. He said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he started breaking that bread? And the Bible said, when they saw him break the bread, that's when their eyes were open. Why? He took that bread and as he broke it, they saw something on his hands. And when they saw what was on his hands, their eyes were open. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised the shame, is set down at the right hand of God. And he endured the cross, and he set down the right hand of God. We've got to look at Jesus for our hearts truly to be opened. So I offer you this opportunity. Will you allow God to give you some heartburn? Are you going to harden your heart and resist God as he's trying to tell you you need to remove your will? Stop trying to argue with me on, on the intellectual level of the heart. Give that up. Start just grab, take up your cross and follow me and start digging. Start digging. Take, take another shovel called praise and worship and start digging. Thank you, Jesus. Start digging till, till all the layers of your heart are peeled away. And there's nothing exposed but your real self. And then God will plant the seed of his word in you. The word of God is always described as a seed. But the fruit is described as the spirit. Because the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, goodness, peace, long-suffering, meekness, and temperance. When you get this word in you and it begins to grow, it's going to produce fruit in you. And that's the thing that's happening in the church at large is that there's no fruit. Because their hearts are hard. So are you going to, are you going to harden your heart? Are you going to become like the children of Israel and have memory lapses of the one who brought me out? Are you going to look at your trauma and relive the trauma? But that's not what God wants you to do. When you think about being enslaved, when you think about the trauma, you should not be reliving the trauma. Having anxiety and panic attacks. What you should instead be reliving is the deliverance. When I think about the Lord, and how he saved me. And how he raised me. And how he picked me up and turned me around and placed my feet in the solid ground. It makes me want to shout. Oh, now, see, now you're starting to get it a little bit. When I think about how I was abused or how I was molested or, or abandoned, I don't relive the molestation. I don't relive the abandonment. I don't relive the deliverance. Oh, thank God. I'm not in bondage anymore. I'm not a slave anymore. But I'm free and I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb. So let's recap. The children of Israel had lived in hard conditions. And because they lived in hard conditions, their heart became hard. 
Because their heart was hardened, they couldn't understand God's miracles. And because they couldn't understand God's miracles, they were ungrateful and unthankful. And because they were unthankful and ungrateful, they, they could not get any faith. And because they had no faith, they could not enter into the promises that God had for them. The promises of God are entered in through faith. Hebrews 4, 3 says, For we which have believed have entered into rest. That's the next sermon. We've entered into rest. The reason why you're restless is because your heart is hard. I know I'm driving this thing, but I'm reaching for somebody. You've been resisting God. You've got a, you've got a veil over your heart. And you're trying to keep God out. And God is saying, open up the veil. Take the shell of the cross and start digging. Start confessing your sins. Start confessing your mistakes. Start confessing your pain to me. Let me take that out like a surgeon. I want to remove the cancer of sin out of your heart. Harden not your heart as in the day of temptation, as in the day of the provocation. Don't be like them and blaspheme the rock, which is Christ, that they drank from. And build an altar to a false god. These altars are open to you today. This is the last message that we had for this year. You're not going to enter into God's promises with a hardened heart. Is it fun having the heart broken up? No. No, it's not. No one likes to have surgery. No one wants to be prodded and pricked and cut and opened up. It's not a fun experience. But if God doesn't remove this tumor, so to speak, it's going to kill you. If God doesn't remove the sin that's in your heart, it's going to destroy you. And the thing is, you've got to circumcise you. You've got to open yourself up. You've got to put yourself on the potter's wheel and allow him to mold you and shape you in the way that he wants you to. Stop fighting God. Stop resisting God. Don't harden your heart. Open yourself up to Him. And allow Him to change your life. Right now in the name of Jesus, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would go across this room and soften us. Father, even as the water, oh God, the rain, soften the soil. Soften us with your Spirit. Let your Spirit reign in this place. Let your spirit fall in this place and move in this place. Soften our hearts. When you come to this altar, don't don't come to play hokey pokey with God. Don't put just a few of your sins on the altar and then take it back. Don't play around with God. Give it all. Lay it all on the altar. Put it all, everything, every mistake, every disappointment, every hurt, every rejection, every trauma. Put it all on the heart and say, God, I forsake it. I abandon it. I allow you to take control. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Father, right now in the name of Jesus. Let your spirit go over this congregation, go over those that are within my hearing, that they might, oh Lord Jesus, know that you are the one and only true living God. Open the eyes of our hearts that we would see us, desensitize us, oh God. Remove from us a lukewarm spirit, enlighten us a fervency for your glory, to seek you, to chase you, to pursue you, and you alone, God. You're the only one that can rescue us. Give us an understanding that we receive of your spirit and be chained and be transformed by your loving kindness. In the name of Jesus, let conviction pull us over. God to the altar. Let conviction transform us into your image in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All over this congregation, I want you to take some time to repent. Repentance is the means by which the heart is broken up. All of us, before we go into this next year, there's some things we got to do. Some inventory we got to take. Some housekeeping we need to perform before we move forward to the next year. God, if there's anything in me that does not belong, take it out of me. Who shall understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back also thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let not iniquity have dominion over me. Then I shall be innocent and upright from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Wherewithal shall young man cleanse his way by taking heed to thy, thy word. Thy word and thy hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Jesus, open up my heart, God. Open up my heart, God. Right now, come on, open up your heart. Stop fighting, God. Allow the cross to break down those barriers. Remove the veil, remove the veil. Allow God into your heart. In Jesus' name.